Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash missionlog today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash missionlog. And you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash missionlog. This episode is also sponsored by Helix Sleep. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 421, It's Only a Paper Moon. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we take a look at each and every episode and film in Star Trek to seek out the morals, meanings, and messages contained therein and see if they have withstood the test of time. This week, it's only a paper moon. The one where Nog returns to Deep Space Nine only to discover that in many ways he's still under siege from AR-558. We look forward to exploring this very powerful episode with all of you. And if you would like to discuss this or any other episodes that we have produced, here's how you can contact and stay in touch with us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek, and that's why we want to hear from you. Use Mission Log Pod to give us a like and a share on Facebook and Twitter, Then follow and rate us at Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can call us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by dialing 323-522-5641. Send us an email at missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, here is John Champion with this week's trivia. All right, trivia for today's episode, it's only a paper moon. We have a story credited to David Mack and John J. Ordover. Well, those two are definitely familiar names. We did see their other DS9 credit already with Starship Down in the fourth season. You probably already know that David is a Star Trek novelist and John was an editor at Pocket Books. This episode went through some major changes before what we see on screen, though. Their original pitch was a story that took place at Quark's bar for the period of an entire day. The gimmick was opening to closing and essentially creating a bottle show that was easy to produce. This was well before anything to do with Nog or his arc, so the story sat for about three years. Then as the Nog story developed, the teleplay duties fell to Ronald D. Moore. It was Ron, under Iris Stephen Bear's influence, who shifted the story that originally had three different plot lines into the one we see here. 
Though Ron did recruit Dave and John for another draft, that draft turned the focus to Nog's PTSD. Then it was Ron who really narrowed the story on Nog and Vic in the hollow suite and made that front and center. It was directed by Anson Williams. We all remember that Anson played Potsy on Happy Days, and then he went on to a pretty prolific directing career. We saw his one other DS9 entry, which was Statistical Probabilities, and he will be back with four episodes of Voyager. Now, look, there are about a million references and details I could hone in on for this episode, but I want to call out the mention of seeing Sammy, that would be Davis Jr., at the Cal Neva in Lake Tahoe. This is a hotel, casino, and showroom with a sordid past from its opening in the 1930s to a fire to a rebuild to swapping owners many times. In 1960, Frank Sinatra bought the place with co-investment from his friend Dean Martin and a few other friends who happened to be connected, including Sam Giancana. Rough waters lay ahead for the group, and Frank, especially when the state of Nevada suspended their gambling license, well, uh, Frank had less to do with the property, leasing it out and then selling his interest in the 70s. By 2013, the place had closed for renovation, and in 2018, Oracle CEO Larry Ellison bought it in bankruptcy. As of our recording, it's still closed. So if we're still looking for a location to buy out as Vic's Club, uh, that's as good a place as any. One other thing, the song It's Only a Paper Moon was first released in 1933 and has been recorded hundreds of times since, originally intended for a Broadway play that flopped the previous year and was titled at the time If You Believed in Me. We hear it in this episode, sung by James Darren. The lyrics are pretty straightforward about the artificial world around the two characters in the song, but belief in each other makes them real. Let's talk about our guest stars. Well, it's mostly our DS9 crew with a lot of attention on Nog and Vic Fontaine. We do have a guest with a memorable scene, though. Jake State Keisha is played by Tammy Adrian George. Tammy was in the movies Starship Troopers and Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, in addition to several TV guest appearances. She even turns up a couple of times on the show that is the source of our Jonathan Frakes meme, Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. Regrets? I have a few. Too few to mention, but too many to organize into a coherent relational database. Maybe we better just check in on Nog. Prologue. Esri is escorting a very apprehensive Rom and a nerve-wracked Lita to the shuttle bay because today, Nog is coming back home to them and his extended family on Deep Space Nine. After losing his leg during the siege of AR-558, Nog has endured extensive medical treatment and counseling on Starbase 235. And, shortly after arriving on Deep Space Nine and being welcomed home by his family and friends, including Captain Sisko, who insists that Nog is to report to a welcome home party in his honor, an exceedingly weary Nog respectfully declines and would rather rest as he limps ever so slowly towards the shuttle bay exit. Act 1. Shortly after Nog settles in, Dax begins with her counseling and evaluation sessions only to have Nog brusquely respond with, 
how fed up he has become discussing his feelings. He admits to Dax that he is indeed in pain and that he uses the cane to relieve the very same pain that the counselors on Starbate 235 have all come to the conclusion that Nog's leg pain is just a manifestation of some other trauma that he is mentally channeling into his amputation, which, medically speaking, can no longer produce pain. So Nog asks very pointedly to be left alone, and Dax obliges, because as a counselor, she knows better than to push someone too hard and too quickly. In a later conversation, Captain Sisko has taken notice that Nog has been skipping physical therapy sessions as well. But Dax tries to explain to Benjamin that sometimes the patient can find the treatment that best works for them, in due course and in due time. Later in Jake and Nog's quarters, and after the umpteenth replay of Vic Fontaine's standard I'll Be Seeing You, the same song that Dr. Bashir used to provide a brief respite to the entrenched troops on the barricade at AR-558, Jake stops the music and, in his own way, encourages Nog to go rent a hollow suite and enjoy Vic's song somewhere else but their quarters. Restless and despondent, Nog limps to Quark's and engages Vic's program and asks the holographic lounge singer to perform his favorite song. Nog is so enamored by Vic that he asks the hologram if he can hang in, or is it hang out, with him. Nog isn't ready to face the real world and believe that Vic's holosuite program is exactly what he needs for his medical leave time off, and Vic is excited to help out his new pally. Act 2. In the wardroom, Nog's friends and family gather around the conference table to see what can be done about Nog's current method of psychiatric treatment. Rom thinks his son is crazy for withdrawing deeper into Vic's holosuite program. But both Ezri and Dr. Bashir believe that Nog's chosen method of self-treatment, namely living in this alternate reality in Vic's program, might have certain benefits, since Nog's treatment back on Starbase 235 didn't have the desired effect. Only time and patience will tell. Back in the Hollow Suite, Ezri begins a dialogue with Vic, making sure that he is aware of Nog's current mental and emotional state. But Vic assuages Ezri's concerns as he assures her that he knows just what Nog needs to wean him off the stick and heal Nog without realizing that he's actually undergoing a treatment of sorts. First, Vic gives Nog something he can really sink his Ferengi mind and teeth into, Vic's accounting books. But Nog waves off the bait and would rather just watch more black and white TV. Then Vic gives Nog an offer he can't refuse in the form of a new cane, and not just any cane, but a replica lion's head cane, complete with a hidden cigarette lighter, which makes it not only cool, but something Nog can't put his full weight on. Cane, confidence, and now tuxedos. Not a bad way to shake Nog out of his doldrums. Time for an evening on the town, and that means back to Vic's lounge. As Nog is enjoying a wonderful evening all to himself, Jake and his lovely date Keisha arrive and join Nog at his table. Nog is clearly not interested in sharing his evening's entertainment with anyone, and while Jake is off fetching a few martinis, Nog takes Keisha's concern for his leg as a grave insult, which manifests itself in the form of throwing the small dinner table at Jake when he returns with the drinks. Nog even dashes around the table to punch Jake when he was down. Vic stops the show to break up the brawl and without hesitation kicks Nog from the lounge, as in, you are out, Pally. Act 3. 
Instead of licking his wounds and sulking about being thrown out of the club, Nog is back at Vic's, helping himself to more Vic's TV. When Vic returns, he reads Nog the riot act and tells him that fighting in the casino is grounds for getting kicked from the guest list permanently. But Nog swears that it will never happen again, as Vic reminds him that he's not the only one who Nog should be apologizing to. Exhausted for having been active for longer lengths of time than he's used to, Vic still laments the bookkeeping that he hasn't been able to get to. But Nog, reminding Vic that he's still Ferengi, and that accounting is in their blood, assures Vic that he can take care of the accounting and even find him some money hidden in all the mounds of paperwork. Checking in on Nog, and as Vic and Nog's de facto counselor, Dax seems like her concerns are at first well-founded. But after learning and seeing by nature of observing Nog's minimal use of the cane, Dax is impressed with how far Vic's treatment has brought Nog out of his depression and self-loathing. And when Nog sees Dax with Vic, he assures her that if she forces him to leave, he'll resign his Starfleet commission permanently. As Dax tries to de-escalate the situation, Nog switches topics midstream and is more excited about the money he's found between the lines in Vic's accounting books, which Nog thinks he can parlay into expanding Vic's lounge into a new casino. Nog has embraced his old cultural Ferengi ways, which may have impressed Vic, but has only caused Dax to worry more. Act 4. Life in the Holosuite is a beautiful thing for Nog and Vic. They have the world on a string, sitting on a rainbow, and got that string around their fingers. Their relationship is full of camaraderie, of trust, of living the life that so many want to live, one without wanting, one filled with flowing cocktails and caviar dreams. All is going so well, and even when Ram and Lita arrive for dinner, even their worry seems to be put aside when they observe Nog bouncing around the guest tables like a pinball, and without the use of his cane. However, the outside world seeps in ever so slightly, as Lita tells Nog that Rom has been promoted to maintenance engineer first class, and that Chief O'Brien threw him a little impromptu celebration, both of which Nog would have known about if he ever stepped outside Vic's Holosuite program. But who's got time for that when you have fat cat high rollers waiting to be seated? At the bar, Dax can't help but compliment Vic on turning Nog around so quickly and hoping that because he's adjusting so well, she will be able to bring Nog back to the outside world real soon. It's not like Vic is planning on keeping Nog around indefinitely, right? Perhaps the counselor planted a seed in Vic's mind by saying that, because later that evening, even before Nog could discuss all of his plans to customize the new casino's floor plans, Vic snatches up all the drawings, and in a moment of toughest love... Vic does the one thing that Nog would never have imagined Vic doing to him. Nog's heart shattered as his new life literally disappeared around him when Vic spoke these three little words. Computer. End program. Act 5. Shortly after Vic shut down his program, Nog feverishly tried to re-engage the holosuite with some unorthodox engineering, which in turn brought Chief O'Brien to investigate the scene. The chief told Nog that Vic is his own self-contained entity, and no matter how hard you try, only Vic can reactivate the program, if and when he desires. Before leaving, the chief tells Nog how much everyone misses him in ops. When Vic suddenly appears, Nog is furious with him and demands Vic to re-engage his program at once, 
but Vic insists that Nog leave the hollow suite and return back to his real life. But Nog, through tears streaming down his face and self-doubt choking his every other word, admits to Vic that he's terrified of returning to the real world because everything has turned upside down. His promising and rising star as a Starfleet officer, that once certain future where all was going perfectly for him, was cut down as was his body on AR-558, and everything went to hell since. What kind of a future is there for him when you can die today, tomorrow, and whenever you least expect it? Vic doesn't have the answer for that, but what he tries to impart on Nog is that life is about accepting the cards that you are dealt. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but at least you are in the game. And with that, Nog has his moment of clarity, and even though he's not completely fine, after descending down to Quark's main bar and seeing his most precious family, he tells them that he will be all right in time. Later, and back in his prized Starfleet uniform, Nog, sans Kane, returns to Vic to thank him for everything Vic did for him. Nog told Vic that he convinced Uncle Quark to keep Vic's programming on for 26 hours a day as thanks. Vic, beside himself with gratitude, knows that he has just been given a full-time existence and celebrates in kind knowing that he's got the world on a string. The End Thank you for that nice recap of a serious episode. And uh, I'll tell you what, before we get to the discussion, as we do on Mission Log, let's... uh, Let's have a little fun with it, shall we? <laughs> I'm going to say – this isn't a you know funny, pithy uh, remark or comment on this. I will start actually with something serious, which is to say that from the very beginning, just the, the first few frames of this episode, I love the concern and the confusion everybody else has asking themselves, how do we, we, we react? How do we interact? And I just kept thinking it is – perfectly okay to feel like you might say or do the wrong thing. And I love, I love, 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 what a beautiful moment from the start, the applause when they see Nog. Mm -hmm. I think everything in that teaser was just handled absolutely perfectly. Um, So nice job there all around. Yeah, I think we've all been there where we don't know how to behave in situations like this. Like, do you you overdo it? Mm -hmm. If you don't overdo it, is it underdone? You probably feel worse in the person that you're actually mm-hmm. there for. So yeah. it's a weird yeah. thing. Yeah, and, and nice to see they're asking that of each other and having that conversation. I'll also mention a couple of production things that, you know, there are some techniques that are used in this episode that can be done very poorly. And sometimes we've pointed out when it's been done poorly on Star Trek, but the use of flashback and montage. And yet they are used perfectly here. They are so good, so well done. And I read later that there was some of that flashback stuff from AR-558 that was not in the episode uh, that I thought was a great use of either, you know, just extra footage or uh, a pickup that was perfectly laid in. I will pick on one kind of production oddity, though. (laughs) That is the very end of Act 1 has the strangest music cue when Vic decides to let Nog stay with him. That right before they go to break, it's like yeah. a music cue from a sitcom. <laughs> what was right. that? It was, yeah, it, yeah. it, it is definitely kind of like uh, an act one, like like a cue, like we're going to commercial. Yeah, 
Yeah. It, it was as out of yeah. place as like the slap on the back freeze frame in early TOS. You know, it's just like this. <laughs> what is this show that we're watching now? Um, oh, and, and I love there, there's such a good moment when uh, everybody's in the conference room and Cork uh, uh, says, Who's paying for all this Hall of Sweet time? It, with that re- moment of realization, I guess I am. And without missing a beat, Cisco, and it's very generous of you. Just perfect to hold Quark to it while everybody's watching. So I guess the Quark that we saw in Siege yes. is gone. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Because I, when I saw this particular quote, I'm like, this isn't characteristic of the same character that we saw sitting with Nog, talking about how humans devolve under, you know, these circumstances and how much he was at. I mean, he went, he, he, he went at such lengths to protect Nog, yeah. you know, from the Jem'Hadar. And this is his attitude when Nog comes but back. But see, I would say that this is perfectly in keeping with Quark's monologue in Siege of AR558, that he's talking about humans. He's projecting on humans. Oh, sure, they're fine, they're nice, they're great until their back's mm-hmm. against the wall, until you push them in a corner and you take away their creature mm-hmm. comforts and then they break. We're seeing the same kind of thing with Quark. When Quark has the comfort of doing a business deal, of sniffing out a profit and being at home uh, on DS9, he's that cantankerous uh, you know, mm. bloodthirsty for profit Ferengi that we all know and love and love to hate. Um, right. But when he's in a war zone and it's a family member who and himself who are both threatened uh, with with injury or death, then we peel off those layers and we get to see something else that's deep down inside a cork. And we had some interesting feedback about that from the last episode uh, with people yeah. saying or or. Uh, previous to last episode, saying, well, no, this fits in with Quark's growth over time. Well, it it does, but it doesn't. It it fits in in creating this whole picture of Quark, but it's a very specific reaction we haven't seen, and I think wisely that we haven't seen until you get him in that place. Take him out of it, throw him back on DS9. He's in the comfort of his bar. He can make some money. Of sure. course, that's going to yeah. come up. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, I mean, he's in his comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, he's yeah. in a seat of power. Yeah. So yeah, I really liked when when Nog asked Vic, you know, when you sleep, do you dream? Asking a hologram, the most complex of holograms, yes. uh, this question, and I can't help but reflect on. Uh, Philip K. Dick's do androids dream of electric sleep? Yeah, uh, uh, I'm sorry, electric sheep, sheep. or electric sleep, uh, electric sheep. Either way, <laughs> <laughs> it's like sleep or yeah. sheep. But uh, yes, do androids dream of electric sheep? You know, sheep jumping the, you know, the fence. I in their dreams. I love that. I wonder if Vic dreams of electric cocktails. You know that, <laughs> <laughs> or electric sleep. Yeah, or electric sleep. <laughs> Apparently, he had not slept before. So uh, very curious what the the holodeck or right. hollow sweet computer would do with that. By the way, speaking of Vic and and breaking Vic out of the mold that we've seen him in, good to see him in some casual wear and uh, and a really nice daytime suit, uh, other mm-hmm. than just the uh, tuxedo all the time. Um, that was good. By the way, I, I love going back to that conference room scene. I love everybody dunking on Bashir's Hollow Sweet programs. <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> He's like, "Hey, hey man, cool up, come cool on, it, cool it." I'm right? entitled yeah. to have my own fantasies, okay? <laughs> 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 that was good, yeah. and 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 Sid played it played it off yeah. really well. He's like, "Hey, yeah. what's nice. up?" That's not nice. right. 
So this is something that I saw specifically, and I'm going to mention this a little bit later in discussions, but at timestamp 2418, mm-hmm. when Nog flipped the table at Jake, he jumped over or at least jumped around yeah. the table, and he did so without the cane. Yeah. So I think that was the first example of he really doesn't need the cane, and something in his – some type of reflex action like snapped into place yeah. because – Maybe it was uh, frustration. Maybe it was anger. Something was able to like push him into action yeah. and drop the facade of the yeah. cane. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and I thought that was the perfect place to do it. Is you you almost you know if that scene hadn't come naturally in the show, and 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 who knows what the writing process uh, getting down to brass tacks like that was, but it's the kind of mm-hmm. scene that you need to create. You need to contrive to be able to hint to the audience like, oh, here's what's really going on underneath. Yeah. You right, know, really, really well handled. Um, I will say about that scene, I don't love a martini served in a rocks glass. Neither do yeah. <laughs> I. I have really bad flashbacks to uh, uh, an event uh, I was at one time, and, and just the guy I just asked for a martini, and he gets out a rocks glass, and he is full of crushed ice. And I said, uh, you know, rather than an olive, I prefer a twist. And he proceeded to squeeze a lime in it, and I'm. Just oh like, my here, goodness! Just, just keep it. Just uh, I'm gonna go do something else. <laughs> that hurts me in so many. I, I, I didn't mean to bring us yeah, all no down, idea. but yeah, yeah, oh, it, it actually God. happened. Seriously. I, I try not to think about it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, speaking of Vic, true to character, totally checking out Esri. <laughs> oh, everyone, you saw <laughs> yes. that too, because I think everyone did as yes. well. Yes, yeah. yeah. But you yeah. know, but it's it's Vic, and it, it, it wasn't. Uh, Totally awful. <laughs> yeah. His programming is beyond. We got to talk to Felix yeah, exactly. about that. Like for exactly. real. Right. So um, later in the episode, when when Nog seats Lita and Rom, um, it was nice that you could actually see that the cane became more prop than necessity. Mm-hmm. It's like it was his totem, kind of like his like some like some military leaders they would use a riding crop, mm-hmm. like Patton. You know, some would use uh, like a cane, but not really need it. You just use it kind of like as a pointer. I, I really like that uh, this this uh, Errol Flynn, you know, era cane was just a thing. It was just uh, it was a totem to channel his fear into it, yeah. right? And once his fear was gone, he no longer needed it. But it is pretty cool that you can light a lady's cigarette with a lion head. Uh, pretty cool. Right. And then it looked like uh, the Grand Nagus uh, a little bit. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. I did yeah. like that. <laughs> and, and yeah, and there, I, I didn't get into uh, great detail on that. But yes, uh, Errol Flynn did occasionally carry a cane, uh, not necessarily with that giant uh, lion head on it, not that huge one. But um, yes, there are pictures of the late Errol Flynn with a cane, with a, mm-hmm. you know, a gold or brass headed uh animal on it. I, there's one thing that I, I like, and I've mentioned it before on uh, Mission Log, that I really love it when fictional TV shows have other TV shows or movies in them, as we did here with Shane, and you had a, a, a reference to uh, The Searchers, because it, it's this fun mm-hmm. little in-universe thing. It's like a nod to the audience saying, okay, what you're watching is real, since we all have the same movies to watch, 
You know, like you, right, you right. know what Shane is. You know what the searches is. So do they. Therefore, we occupy the same reality. It's kind of cool. Um, and also it, it, it uh, thematically works really well in this episode that you have the fiction within the fiction within the fiction. And the meta of the searchers is that you have Jeffrey Hunter playing aside from John Wayne in yes, the searchers. Yes, right? yes. So, yeah, that's very Perfect. meta. Yeah. I don't think that I'm saying anything that the audience doesn't already know or has experienced, but when Vic turned himself off in the Holosuite program, I usually rank my episodes with how many tears <sighs> did it make me cry. This is ranking high. Yeah. This episode because of that. You, you know what? Look, I, I don't want to take us too far off track here, but I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm glad that you had that in your notes because – I would rank that not not quite as deeply emotional, but I would rank that as a moment alongside Spock's death in Star Trek II. And here's why. And here's why. Before anybody says like, no, 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 they're totally different. Vic's a hologram or whatever. Okay, but the interesting thing about Spock's sacrifice is that it is equally logical and equally emotional. And the fun, mm -hmm. wonderful, amazing, compassionate, empathetic thing about watching that moment in Star Trek II is you get to sit there and just let that idea seesaw in your head a bit. It's logical, but it's also beautiful. But it's also this, you know, emotional moment. But he's doing it because it's what's needed. It's duty, you know, and all those things get to meld and mesh with the motivation behind the character. And watching yeah, Vic do that, I kept thinking the same thing. He's a program. He is so many ones and zeros in a computer. And that computer is trying to figure out what is the next best move to do. What is the next correct thing to do to maintain the game or maintain the uh, self-sufficiency of the program? So there is a logical choice to be made about shutting itself off. But there's an emotional, compassionate side to that that says he's looking out for the kid and he's doing tough love to look out for the kid. It's great. It's uh, mm -hmm. I, it, it sends a chill up my spine when I think about it. I will also say just to uh, make it a little uh, more superficial, Vic's apartment, <laughs> I, I would look – Nog, I feel you because I would find it very difficult to leave. It looks like a redress of what we saw in Our Man Bashir, but that's perfect too because it's the same computer, just different programming. Love it. I, I just want to raid like all of Vic's like cardigans and God, Venus, no kidding. Right? No kidding. Yeah, man. I want that. Ugh, I want so that. Yeah. I'm an engineer, not a philosopher. Well done, Miles. I think that uh, is part and parcel with uh, just a, a spin on the classic. I'm a doctor and not a yep. X. Yep. Right. Always works. Yeah. The one shot I really loved in this episode, I wasn't sure if it was going to work or not, and I think I know what they were going for, but it's the final shot of the episode where Vic is on stage, and he's loving life. He's as, as big as Elvis. Who? Never mind. <laughs> it was a nice moment. Right? Yeah. But he's as big as Elvis, yeah. and you saw, you could feel like a handheld camera doing a, a push forward and then a reverse tracking shot, like moving its way backwards through the crowd, and it just really felt like you were in the moment you felt the energy of the crowd, but it also felt like they were kind of like channeling that Goodfellas scene where they were going through the Copacabana. Yeah, that long steady right? cam and shot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just to give that nice, breathable atmosphere of you are there in the crowd. You are watching Vic. He's coming down. He's being part of the crowd. He's living life. He's real yeah. at 26 hours a yeah. day. Love it. Love it. 
when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, either that's a very small moon, or an excessively large pizza, either way, it's probably not good news for your eye, or the rest of you. We'll be right back with It's Only a Paper Moon, but first a word from this week's sponsors. So going online without ExpressVPN is like changing while leaving your window wide open. No one wants to do that, right? I, well, it depends. You can't say no one, but it depends on the person. It depends on the kind of night you had. True enough. But generally speaking, sure. Generally speaking. And well, you may not have anything to hide, generally speaking, but why give random creeps a chance to kind of walk by that window and invade your privacy because you don't want that? Hey, look, again, no judgment from right. us. Okay. But, but that is an apt metaphor for why everyone should use a VPN. They just should. Because if you think about it, everything that you do online could be seen, could be intercepted by some creep, some creep that you don't know. So if you think about it this way, when you go online without a VPN, internet service providers, ISPs of all stripes, can see every single website that you visit. And then it doesn't just end with the creep factor. Oh, no, no. They can profit off of it, too. They can legally sell this information without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use that data to target you. So why do you want to use ExpressVPN? Because you can browse more anonymously. When you use ExpressVPN, ISPs can't see your online activity, i.e. they can't walk by the window and see what's going on when you're changing. So your identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. Your data is also encrypted for maximum protection. That's what you want. And it's really easy to use. You just fire up the app and click one button. Like literally, you turn the app on. It's like you hit the app. That's one action. Then you hit the on button. That's two actions. Super simple. And it works on all your devices, your phones, your laptops, your routers, your mobiles, because I like saying it that way. <laughs> so everyone who, you, you know, who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected the same way. So that's why to me and to Norman and honestly to all of you, it should be very important to protect yourself online. And that's why we use ExpressVPN. So you can do it too. You can secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash mission log today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash mission log. And you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash mission log. Hey, Norman, um, there are a lot of things in life that I like. Uh, I like good food. I like to travel. Uh, I like hanging out with my friends. I really like to sleep. That is something I definitely like. I definitely look forward to and enjoy quite a bit. And uh, Norman, I enjoy sleeping on a nice quality mattress from uh, Helix. I imagine you like sleeping on a nice quality mattress from Helix as well. So do you know how long two minutes is in the, in the course of a day? Because if you take two minutes, just two yeah. minutes, you're looking at 120 seconds. Take that time because Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just 120 seconds to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. How many times can you say that in life? You don't want to go into a store, right? You don't have 120 seconds in the store. You have like 
10 hours in a mattress store. It's a nightmare. It it is the worst thing. Yes. (laughs) And Helix knows that. They know that everyone's unique. So they have different mattresses and models to choose from from this two-minute quiz. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. And even Helix plus-size mattresses for plus-size folks. So I took the Helix quiz recently. I was matched with the Dusk model because I really like something that was a little bit on the medium firm side. And I sleep on my, I guess it would be like side slash stomach. But I'm not the only one sleeping in that bed. So my partner, Carol, she also took the quiz and we kind of compromised. Compromised meaning what she wanted. So yeah. (laughs) So that's where my quiz took me. But even so, even so, 120 seconds to match you up with the best mattress for you. So if you're looking for a mattress, here's what you do. You heard what Norman did. You take the quiz over at helixsleep.com slash mission log. You order the mattress that you're matched to because you have avoided the tyranny of going to a mattress store. And then the mattress just comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome, but you don't have to take our word for it. They were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired magazines. So just go to helixsleep.com slash mission log. Take that two-minute quiz. They'll match you up to a custom mattress. It will give you the best sleep of your life. It's got a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you probably will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash mission log. So Norman, we've arrived at another episode that has a lot of heavy themes, uh, a lot of uh, complex ideas that are very character driven. And I feel like we could go in so many different directions with our conversation today. Um, But I'll kick it off with one of the things that I, I thought of when watching this episode. And apart from the very real PTSD portrayal that we see in Nog, which I thought was just absolutely fascinating and so thoughtful the way that it was handled. And that is this incredibly unique use of the holosuite and everyone else's reaction to it, Mm -hmm. which I thought was another component here. So think back. In Next Gen and through most of DS9, we get glimpses of how a holodeck can go bad. And with Barclay, we get a glimpse of how someone can misuse or get lost in a holographic simulation. We've also had stories about blurring reality with fantasy to an unhealthy degree. But by and large, the holosuite slash holodeck is seen as a positive kind of recreation or interactivity and even as a kind of therapy, which is the way that we go here. And it seems like in this case... The hollow suite is absolutely perfect for what Nog needs. And where it gets murky is when we try to ask where that line is between healthy and unhealthy. So I thought about the long history of technologies being met with controversy early in their adoption. You know, video games, fun until they're considered evil drivers of antisocial behavior. Uh, smartphones and tablets, necessary tools 
until they're seen as evil drivers of antisocial behavior. And look, there may be some truth to that, but it's an incomplete picture because the technology also has other incredible benefits like using apps on a tablet to help people who have severe communication issues to be able to express themselves. So I, I thought the use of the technology here was so core to everybody's understanding of what was going on. This was almost like a warning episode about the traps of being caught in a fantasy world. But I wondered if the DS9 crew were being a little too sensitive about all of this. When do they just get to give the kids some space? I mean, yeah, everyone had their opinion about that in the wardroom. Um, Yeah. The interesting thing is, John, I'm so glad you brought this up because as somebody who has lived a lot of his life in the video game MMO social space, some of some of the time that I've spent there has been, at least for me in part and for friends in part, some type of outreach type of dynamic where it's not even about the game. It's not even about being in that atmosphere. It's about being able to reach out and use that technology to stay connected. It's And probably right now more so than, than any time else in history, like during the COVID lockdowns. But I remember when I first started playing, say, World of Warcraft, and it has a chat feature inside the game itself, sometimes we wouldn't even play. We would just chat with people that you never met, and you would learn things about people. Uh, it's it's very much like um, any any kind of trope that, you know, where someone would respond on the other side of uh, walkie-talkie, or someone would respond on the other side of an email. You know, it's just, where do we employ this technology when it, you know, helps us uh, understand ourselves as human beings. You know, it, it, it takes us to that next step. Yeah. And, and where, like, who gets to decide what that line actually is that is too far or not enough? I, you mentioned it a, a moment ago about that scene with the whole senior staff in the wardroom, mm-hmm. except it was senior staff and Jake and Quark sitting around a conference table talking about the Nog problem. And look, I I know that in terms of script efficiency, show of his, we have to get everybody in. But that scene was uncomfortable to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I I felt like maybe if this were, say, a 90-minute episode instead of an hour long, maybe that's just an Esri and Bashir issue. But with the guidance of Nog's father, there was something really strange about having everybody in sort of a formal meeting setting, but it's not everybody who makes decisions on DS9, uh, talking about this guy without his participation. I mean, honestly, I think that it would have been an amazing scene if they just boiled it down to a couple characters. Mm O'Brien, Garrick, right? You know, like like Mm -hmm. characters that actually we have seen interact with Nog in high-pressure situations, especially the chief. You know, I think yeah. that um, yeah. when, when Rom said, you know, my son's crazy, I'm like, you know what, I know that's played for laughs, but it was really out of step with, say, a father caring for his son. I think that if they really wanted to do that scene right, it would have just been Esri and maybe, um, and maybe uh, Bashir, but definitely Miles. Miles and Nog have spent a lot of time together. He adores the chief. Nog adores yeah. the chief and looks up to him. And I think that in many ways, in, in, in certain circumstances, that the chief felt responsible for him like a son. 
you know, like yeah. some that he doesn't have. Yeah. So I, I felt that it was a huge opportunity lost when you're dealing with an ensemble cast because you're right. Not every member of that ensemble cast really has to has any kind of like emotional stake maybe with Nog, with maybe the exception of Jake. Yeah. You know, right. Right. Well, and, and Jake lives with him. So exactly, that, yeah. that's another layer of his involvement there, which, which again takes us back to that very good and, and very interesting scene, even if it is a little bit contrived of, you know, uh, Jake and his date going into uh, Vic's and it ends with a table being flipped over. Um, I have to ask the weird question oh. because it's what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Lord knows we have weird conversations and we get interesting feedback from our listeners mm-hmm. but i have to ask the weird question because it's part of uh part of our job here okay. would it be okay to let nog live out his life the way he thinks he wants it to be inside that hollow suite mm. would uh, because we can sort of assume that vic would not have come to the decision that he did without having some pressure from esri to say, no, 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 the, now's the time you got to cut him loose. But maybe, maybe he would have, or maybe that would have come about naturally only later. And who knows what later is? Weeks later, months later, a year later, who knows? And I know that it's not entirely a fair comparison, but I want to bring this up. Let's go back to the cage. Captain Pike was adamant that he could not live in a cage of any sort, no matter how perfect the simulation was, and that he had everything that he had ever won. After the accident, though, that same cage becomes very attractive to him as a way to escape the confines of his trauma. Mm -hmm. And we all sort of applaud that he has this other alternative to go to. Now, I understand that Nog's situation isn't exactly the same, but... I I wonder if there was too much too soon in terms of the pressure to say, no, you can't be here anymore. I mean, here's a guy who we understand that it's only been how long uh, in show time, I think like a couple of months, they said. At best, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I know that in in playback time and audience time, it's only two weeks. But I, I think in the show, they said it was two months that he had been away at Starbase. So I wonder, are we asking too much of him too soon? And what would be the problem if he was there for longer? Well, I didn't know that therapy could be put on a clock. That's something new to me. Yeah. And, you know, let's take a look at Nog from just kind of like the the entirety of his character. So when when Vic asked him to look at his accounting books, you Mm -hmm. saw Nog come to life again. Because Nog has only really been defined in two tracks. He's Ferengi or he's Starfleet. And because he can't be Starfleet right now, because he can't own up to his responsibilities, he still has the aptitude of being Ferengi. So I thought that was really an interesting exercise where I don't know if Vic knew, but at least, you know, he he created he, he started this spark in Nog where he gave him his books and Nog's like, I can do that. I can be that person for you. I can right. fulfill and meet these uh, these goals, personal achievements for me. Gives me confidence, right? It, it allows me to lean into who I was. You know, there's only like 50% of me is Ferengi, 50% of me is Starfleet. Well, 0% mm. is Starfleet right now, which means mm-hmm. all of me is Ferengi. And what do we do best? We cook books. <laughs> and we cook right. books really well. 
Yeah. And I think that that was the perfect distraction to take him away from his injury because what did it do? It gave him confidence, mm-hmm. right? It gave him the ability to understand that, you know what? Not everything about me is gone. Not everything yeah. about me is Starfleet. I'm still who I am because this is my culture. I know how to lean back on that because this is who I am. At the root of me, this is who I am. So I thought that was really smart that they, they added that part, that dynamic into the story. I wonder if you told this story in a different way. Because believe me, I love the story that we got. And I love the choice of using Vic here because you, you sort of need that outsider to be able to reach Nog. But could you have just as effectively told this story in a way where it's, you know, uh, Nog or I, I'm sorry, uh, Rom or Quark sort of giving Nog the attention that he needs and the purpose that he needs with something else, which is exactly what you said. You can't be Starfleet right now, but you can be Ferengi right now, and you can be a part of the family right now doing this thing with the books or with the bar or whatever. And uh, Now, the problem is then that comes with all the baggage of them hanging on to everything else that is driving Nog at that moment. Right. But it is at least a way to break through to him that uh, that that stops being about the injury and starts being about his ability. See, I was thinking about that, and it would have been a really interesting pairing if, say, Quark was able to rehabilitate Nog uh, in, in that way, so it would continue kind of like that narrative from Siege. Mm-hmm. Or, say, uh, it would have been O'Brien, because O'Brien has always mm-hmm. felt that Nog is kind of like his protege, his heir apparent, you know, the son that he never had. So it would have been interesting if they had that narrative. But what I like about him and Vic with Nog and Vic is that there's a B story that's going on that I don't think a lot of people realize is going on, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about this because, okay. yeah. <laughs> so there's an actual interesting B plot story about Vic actually finding genuine companionship with Nog. Yes. Right? Yes. And this growing affection for him. It's, it's akin to what um, – you can look this up online because I did because I don't really know these things. It's mm-hmm. akin to what they call the Florence Nightingale Syndrome. Sometimes used to explain why caregivers, in this case Vic, show empathy and compassion for patients, i.e. Nog, even if there aren't any romantic or sexual overtones because there aren't between yeah. these two. But there is, in a way, a relationship that's being built between Vic and uh, Nog. And Nog is becoming kind of like the son or nephew or, uh, or ward that Vic never had because Vic never has been on this long in his program ever. So he's never been yeah. able to develop himself as a character with his own narrative. And now he has Nog to take care of. So now we're talking about, yeah, Vic is a hologram to be sure. But we all know from Felix and we all know from the, the history that Vic has built that he's beyond his programming, right? Yeah. He's beyond what we expect him of any other hologram to be. So now he's creating this type of self-awareness that has created this really true deep affection for Nog, which is, is startling when you really think about the, the, the permutations and the ramifications of what does that mean for a hologram, but what it means for a hologram's AI to be able to turn into this empathetic, sympathetic, caring father-uncle figure for this person who needs it most. I want to talk about that for just a second because you, you gave me two thoughts immediately. One is that this sort of subverts the idea that as computers and AIs manufactured intelligence becomes more complex and more developed, that we're, we're subverting the idea that then it would become 
evil. And that sort of is the science fiction trope, is that once things grow beyond a certain uh, uh, capacity, suddenly they want to take over and destroy. But here we're saying, no, no, no. This is a computer that's grown beyond its programming, and it has grown so much in the Star Trek tradition that it becomes more accepting and more empathetic and more compassionate. And I think that's uh, an excellent way to look at it. The other thing that I thought of uh, as you were saying that was I don't know if there is a specific psychological term for it, but as you were describing Vic as a caregiver, there is this phenomenon that um, if you have two people and and they could be you know friends acquaintances whatever but as that relationship grows the person who finds themselves in service of the other person helping the other person develops their empathy for that other person so you would think just sort of instinctually it's the other way around the person who is having something done for them then looks to their caregiver with greater affection. But it actually turns out to be the other way most of the time, where the person who is giving of themselves then looks at that person who is receiving that gift or that help, whatever, with greater empathy and greater care, and and not in a power imbalance sort of way, uh, but, but just that uh, it, it actually uh, forges those bonds uh, uh, quite a bit stronger. But man, what what you're saying about Vic, I mean, how awesome and incredible <laughs> it is what we're learning about him and what makes him special. In this episode, he really is the best counselor. He is the best teacher, the best therapist, and he has some autonomy and he has wants. He has desires. He has experiences in this episode. I'll take us back to conversations we have had on much, much older episodes of Mission Log. And that is asking, you know, does Vic here pass the Turing test mm-hmm. being, you know, that, that the computer can answer questions sufficiently that you couldn't tell as the observer if it's an artificial or a naturally occurring intelligence. And it always comes back to this answer. If we can't tell the difference, if he's really conscious or not, then does the question cease to matter? And Nog says it to Vic. It's real to me, it's real to you, and don't say it isn't. What might have gotten Nog out of the holler suite faster? Rome continuing to show up to audition for a gig as a singer at Vix. Just saying. Well, Star Trek may only be make-believe, but it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. And Norman, I believe in you. I believe in you when we get to our final assessment and wrap-up here of It's Only a Paper Moon. I believe in your ability to tell us if you feel like the episode holds up and then share some morals, meanings, messages with us. And hey, because you believe in me, I will do the same thing, all right? So let's go with you first. It's Only a Paper Moon. Does the episode hold up? Uh, let's see if I can put it in the most general terms, if I can find the most success. Yes. <laughs> One billion percent. Yes. Oh, this. wait, I, I, I checked your math and it, okay. It looks like the math holds. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, by the way, um, I believe that we can fly. I believe that we can touch the sky. So, you know, let's go back to the nineties with that. Uh, 
this, I think, this episode has entered my list of top 10 episodes of Deep Space Nine of all time. Because I think that the the true success of this episode, when I say a billion percent, because I, I say that flippantly, it's this episode hits me at such an emotional and philosophical level. Because it raises so many questions about the meaning of life and, and uh, the probability of all of the different ways you can philosophically look at this episode. I, I thought that Vic's song from, uh, you know, the, the one that, that Nog anchors himself to mm-hmm. uh, from the Siege of AR-558, or at least that flashback, mm-hmm. I thought that was a masterful idea because what you're trying to do is you're trying to bridge Nog's experiences from that episode over Covenant and to <laughs> this episode so that you essentially have yeah. this really wonderful bookend between uh, Nog's story there, the the beginning of the loss of innocence to the true loss of innocence to what do we do now, right? So this is the ultimate character arc for Nog, I think, in Deep Space Nine, as far as I've seen. And I know that with Mission Log, I've only been you know covering these episodes from season four on, but I have seen all of Deep Space Nine up until now. And there has been no profound, at least not until now, a profound arc of storytelling for Nog's character until right now. So this is about dealing with your demons. This is about rehabilitation and how to move forward with that. This is about Aaron Eisenberg. This is his Mm -hmm. moment, right? It really is. You know, uh, we've seen him act well before. We've seen him act humorously with great comedic timing but that scene the scene where he fully exposes himself to Vic and says that I was scared to like right now it's hard for me to try and verbalize how I feel about this scene because it's so emotional he was scared scared of the future scared of what people would think of him who among us take a take a second and really think about it who among us us, you and me, John, us, the crowd, hasn't felt that kind of fear mm-hmm. and tried to find our way out or are still struggling to do that this very day. This is why this episode is so important, because its message is so relatable to the current day, to right now. It's because life is a struggle every single day, some days more than others. But we all have to find ways to summon the courage, like Nog did, to let go of that cane And take that terrifying step forward, letting our souls burden the full weight of that step and having the trust and confidence that we can take another and another and another. And how did you feel about it? I, I'm just, I'm just going to turn <laughs> off a mic and walk out the room. <laughs> that, is, that, that was beautifully said, man. And, and we haven't even gotten to the wrap-up yet, uh, the, the full uh, morals, meanings, messages. Look, I, I'll say that in the assessment of the episode, um, if I had to find fault with this episode for anything at all, it's that the, the, the timeline here seems very compressed. Uh, we, mm. we got from Nog boarding to his experiences in a hollow suite, to his reemergence pretty quickly. And that's why it was harder for me to buy the objections of Nog's colleagues. So maybe if this is something that they had decided early on, well, it's going to be a slow build. We're, we're going to get into this. But 
that that that's fine. You know, all the emotional beats work so well in this episode. I would say the other the only other drawback with this is that it is so good and it is so full of payoff of what we have learned of Nog and what we have learned of Vic that it's almost unfair that I can't just hand this episode to somebody out of context, that it yeah. really does work best when you've grown with Nog and then to a lesser expense, uh, uh, extent with Vic to really feel what they're feeling. So those are minor uh, problems I would have with it, but those aren't really problems at all. I mean, it, it, it's still all about the character journey. It's all about the emotional beats. This is an incredible episode of Star Trek. It is an incredible episode of DS9. And it's just a great slice of TV overall for giving us high concepts and emotional payoff that, that are combined here. This is storytelling at its best. It is character-driven storytelling at its best. And really, it's science fiction at its best. Yeah, we're going to contrive this complex technology. We're going to contrive all these high-minded ideas. But at the end of the day, it's about how people interact with that and how we incorporate these technologies, these ideas, these concepts into our humanity. Mm -hmm. Nog's not human. Doesn't matter. This is Star Trek. He's a reflection of humanity, of us. And the other thing here about this episode is that it is anchored by deeply sympathetic characterizations on display. It is sincere. It never feels forced. And that bond between Nog and Vic, it just feels so real. And it's easy for us in the audience to consider the pros and the cons of escaping too much into our fantasies. But at the end of the day, it is about the person's journey. It is about what is right for that person. And there aren't easy answers here. There isn't just a black and white decision of like, he's been in there too long. He hasn't been in there long enough. Everybody's going to be different. Nog has been through hell. It is magic that he finds a place and he finds an interaction and a connection to be able to push him along his way to the next step in his recovery. It's beautiful mm -hmm. to watch. And if I were to tie that into morals, meanings, messages, well, you know, we hit on some of this in the last segment, but I think just to kind of to wrap it up and that I really am anxious to hear what you have to say. There, there are three main takeaways that I get from this episode, ideas to ponder here. And first and foremost is the care and concern that everyone shows for Nog. And I'm not saying that anybody who watches this episode needs to be reminded to treat people with compassion especially after they've been through something traumatic. But it's a good place to be, seeing people come together in the interest of help and love of somebody else. It's nice to see on TV in a piece of popular entertainment. There's another theme here that is that finding oneself and finding confidence can come from any number of places. Again, there is not a single right or wrong answer that fits every situation. Nog has been through a lot, and yes, he does need to return to the real world, but the lessons he learns, the way he finds himself in the hollow suite, those will stick with him even when he leaves. So it's okay to let a little fiction inform your reality. There's a fine line between healthy, necessary escapism and dangerous obsession, but I feel good about Nog's journey here because he's got great people around him and he's learned the right lessons while he's in there. 
The question is, John, though, mm-hmm. when did Vic know when that line was about to be crossed? That's the interesting thing about his AI. Yeah. Well, I I think it took Ezri to give him that push. So maybe that personal element was needed, Mm -hmm, but it mm -hmm. was just a push. It wasn't rewriting the program. It was just like, okay, now you've been around him long enough. Now you understand what's at stake here. Now help us help him the rest of the way. And I think that's really what's beautiful about the collaboration here of the people and the technology. The central idea that the episode is playing with is about recovery and a re-embrace of the difficulty, but also the promise of living in the real world. Uh, Like, here we are watching a show and a franchise that says, this is the way life could be. And we all like to escape there for an hour or two at a time. The work, though, comes outside of the comfortable embrace of a good story or pleasantly presented fiction. Those things are valuable. They can be healthy and healing and inspiring, but they only last so long, and ultimately there's a lack of real connection. So what is the purpose of our lives? Well, that's something that everyone has to decide on their own, but a show like this says that it can't be lived selfishly that our value is our impact on the people around us, living in the real world and helping each other. Wow. The concepts that are being presented by this episode are amazing, right? This is where I love where we are, just in terms of Star Trek fandom, when it's not about these grand galactic battles, these, you know, and of course they're entertaining to watch, you know, but... I think that, at least for me, uh, I always believe that Star Trek is at its finest when it explores the the internal as opposed to the external. Uh, I'd like to start kind of like where I'm at with my morals and meanings and messages with a quote from J. Michael Straczynski. Hmm. Uh, many of you know him from a lot of different of his projects, but mostly Babylon 5. And this is a quote from a character who was at this transition moment of his life. And the quote reads... The past tempts us, the present confuses us, and the future frightens us, and our lives slip away, moment by moment, lost in that vast, terrible Mm in-between. But there is still time to seize that one last fragile moment. And why did I land on this quote? It's not to insert the the division between the Deep Space Nine fans and the Babylon 5 fans. I inserted this quote because I felt this entirely relative to what Nog is going through. Because his past as a Ferengi tempts him. Tempts him to return to what was comfortable and expected. We saw that happen to him in Vix when Vic brought him the books. Hmm. He became comfortable with that because that is half of who he is defined by the culture that is defining his life. His present right now on the station is confusing because he struggles with who he is and what makes him unique and valuable. And by the very nature of his breakdown and confession to Vic in the hollow suite, yes, the future itself frightens him, terrifies him because he's scared. And we all saw Nug suffer like, and watch his life slip away moment by moment in this episode. All of those questions about, are you feeling okay? 
Are you doing okay? Let's counsel you through this. And not just like, leave me alone. Those are those moments where his life is slipping away moment by moment by moment until, until that very breakdown and confession to Vic in the hollow suite. That was his moment where he decided this is when I'm going to seize the opportunity because Vic told Nog that he would die slowly, but surely and become more hollow than a hologram. Hmm. But when that moment came, when Nog realized like in that quote that Joe said, J. Michael Straczynski, Mm -hmm. he said that there is time to seize that one last fragile moment. That is when Nog heard the clarion call of this is the realization that life presents itself. And this is the moment that I have to seize. How will we know when and where to seize it? So what happens when that which we believe defines us is taken away? This is the analysis that Nog is going through. Mm -hmm. What can that do to us? And do we have the courage to redefine ourselves and embrace a new path, which which requires us to take that leap of faith into an uncertain future? Nog was able to do this because all was not lost for him. He had that one unstoppable force in the history of the universe by his side the whole time. And in the moment when he needed to realize it and capture it and hold onto it with dear life itself, he was able to seize that one last fragile moment, that snapshot in his life that changed everything and returned him back to his true reality. He was able to seize hope. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Prodigal Daughter. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. I don't know about anyone else, but that living with Vic Fontaine for a few weeks hollow sweet program looks really relaxing right about now. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.